Welcome to the Hidden Body Podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah Abetti. Thanks for joining me. Today, my guest is Dr. Kira Barr. She's a dual board certified dermatologist and dermatopathologist, a global speaker, and an internationally best-selling author and educator. Dr. Barr has over 20 years of experience practicing dermatology. Let's welcome her. You're a board certified dermatologist, and I love your approach to medicine because for me, it just feels very intuitive. And you speak a lot about how your skin isn't sabotaging you, but it's in fact giving you clues that something isn't right in your body. And it's funny because I feel like when I speak to doctors that have somehow kind of shifted their perspective in medicine and healing to maybe more interconnected whole body root cause approach, I find that it always starts with themselves. Is there any story behind this evolution? Oh, yes. <laughs> of course there is, because when shit hits the fan, then yeah. it becomes your mission. Um, so, I mean, it really dates back all the way to my childhood. And I didn't even realize why I went into dermatology. I thought I went into dermatology because in medical school, I loved everything, right? I was the kid who had like 10 types of cereal in my bowl. I just couldn't make a decision. And dermatology was like the perfect, you know, correlate to that because it was peds, it was internal medicine, it was surgery and histology. So I'm dual board certified, right? Clinical dermatology, dermatopathology. Like I didn't have to give anything up. So I thought that's why I went into dermatology. But what I learned recently um, through my experiences is that it really stemmed from being made fun of as a kid for what was on my skin. And that shame and embarrassment and humiliation that I internalized really became the compass for which I navigated my life. So if people didn't like what was on my skin, that mean that meant that they didn't like me. Mm. So I became very much a people pleaser and that served me well to be a very good student <laughs> to do very well, you know, go to medical school, do all the things, but it disconnected me from me and what I wanted to do. And we were just talking about intuition and following you know, your, your, your heart's calling, you know, your soul's calling. Um, well, fast forward, I'm, I'm a dermatologist now. And, you know, this people pleasing is also listening to the messages from society. I should look a certain way. So I'm going to run ultra marathon so I can keep my physique. I'm going to be in academics and publish things because that's what a, an accomplished doctor should do. I'm going to juggle my toddlers and have a great marriage and all the things. And I was effing miserable. And, you know, I am a dermatologist at the time focusing on skin cancer melanoma. I did a melanoma fellowship and lo and behold, guess what? I have to diagnose myself with the very disease that I'm treating. Mm -hmm. I have to diagnose myself with melanoma, which was just the tip of the iceberg because I was over-exercising. I then wound up with um, horrible shifts in my hormones and uh, had a period that lasted like weeks, mm-hmm. um, wound up tearing my hip, having to have two major reconstructive surgeries. The bottom line is I didn't appreciate the impact that stress mm-hmm. has on our overall health and well-being. Mm-hmm. It was the physical stress of over-exercising. It was the emotional stress of not being aligned with what I really wanted to do and being in tune with myself and trying to live for other people's expectations. And I went to my traditional doctors, wasn't the pills weren't working, the, you know, the brain and whatever, all the things that I was giving wasn't working. And so that's kind of led me into integrative functional medicine. And I thought, holy crap, if I'm a physician, of 20 years and I don't know what is going on with myself. How is the average woman supposed to understand what's happening with her body? How is she supposed to sift through all of this? And I thought there's gotta be a better way. And now I need to pay it forward. And I'm still on this journey. I'm not saying I'm healed and it's one and done and all the stuff, but like I'm further along. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I came to this space. And I realized you know, your skin really is a reflection of your overall health and well-being. And what is showing up on our skin 
tells us a lot about how we're showing up in our lives. Mm. And that, you know, mind skin connection is real. The, the literature shows that we don't just have this hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis in our brain. You just heard Dr. Barr talk about the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, also known as the HPA axis. This axis contains the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland found in the brain and the adrenal gland found sitting just above the kidneys. These organs interact together to help regulate things like stress, digestion, immune system functions, and mood. Down and, you know, creating the stress hormones and all the information, your skin has the exact same mechanism. So it's a two-way street. Um, and so that's a lot of chatter <laughs> to share the story, but it really, you know, changed my perspective on like, what is skincare? Mm. It's truly, it's the prescription we were never taught to write. Mm-hmm. Self-love, wow. self-compassion, and that your body is, and your skin are sending you messages all the time. They are working for you and not against you. Mm. Wow. That's such a beautiful way of succinctly putting that for us. What do you think were the changes that you had to do? And after you made those changes, did you see any, any, any oh, changes for your skin? A hundred percent. So I basically had to do a complete overhaul of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always talk about tapping into your senses, right? So sleep, exercise, nutrition, stress, our environment, and then skin health. And really kind of, you know, I was talking about going skinny dipping, right? That's the process that I take people through as a, as a dermatologist, I had to get people naked physically in order to see what was there to help them save their life. We have to do that in every facet of our well-being, emotional, mental, you know, spiritual, all of it. And so I hired coaches, I work with nutritionists and I had to change what I was eating. I had to really prioritize sleep. I had to get my, a therapist, like I can't do it on my own. Um, you know, so many shifts and, um, just own that I was, you know, didn't have my stuff together. And, um, what's amazing is up until the point where I was diagnosed with, uh, melanoma, I was having biopsies every couple of months, my moles were changing. And in dermatology, you're like, that's just part of the routine. You just do a biopsy, you cut it out, you forget about it and you move on and you wear sunscreen. And after I started making these shifts um, and really prioritizing health instead of just reactivity, it was being more proactive. I have not had a biopsy. It's now nine years. Wow. So I'm not saying that I haven't had you know, blips on the radar, you know, that my skin has been perfect, but in terms of the stress and the, and the repair and all of that, like it got back on track Mm. to me, that's a huge sign that like, you know, when skin cancer occurs, it's oxidative stress, it's DNA damage showing up on the surface, but it's an indication of inflammation in the body and all these things. So to me, the fact that I have not had to have a biopsy since that time, because of all these shifts, it's really a clear message that when we change our lifestyle, so many, you know, our, we, we benefit in so many ways. Wow. Okay. You said a lot of really amazing things there. Let's, let's unpack them. You talked about sleep. And I think, you know, in medical residency, it's hilarious to me that training, we work 28 hours straight, you know, and I think back in the day, even longer, you know, I think they're like 40, you just worked until the work was done. And I'm always fascinated, like with medical education history, like how we got to that long call hour and my hypothesis, I don't know if you've heard of this doctor. It started, I think with William Halstead. Have you heard of him? He was like a physician back in the 1890s. Did you ever see that show, The Nick with Clive Owen? Mm-hmm. So it was based on this guy. So he was an absolute cocaine addict. Like it was very well documented. Cocaine was legal back then. He was a medical doctor that taught at Johns Hopkins. And he expected his residents to be on call 362 days of the year and advised them all to use cocaine. 
And I just feel like, is that where the expectation came from? You know, like, why would you want, you know, like your healer to be so out of touch with his or own self-care, you know, but yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you feel like sleep is so important? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> so many reasons. <laughs> so when people, you know, they they, and I'll just put it out there, like I do not run a traditional derm practice. And in fact, you know, I really support right now, midlife women, uh, menopause women tra- making that transition. Um, we do focus on lifestyle, but it, there's so much more than that, but sleep, mm-hmm. they come to me thinking they want to look better. Mm-hmm. The wrinkles is it sleep is the best skincare. Pr- like it's not even a product, but like the tip that I could ever give okay. beauty sleep is real. Mm-hmm. And why is that sleep? Because sleep is when our body rejuvenates, regenerates and repairs itself. Mm-hmm. And it's the time when we generate melatonin. Melatonin is one of the most potent antioxidants our body can produce. Mm-hmm. It affects our hair follicles. So for hair growth and you know repairing DNA, it also helps generate other antioxidants like superoxide, you know, like like the, and glutathione. You just heard Dr. Barr mention superoxide dismutase and glutathione. These are two powerful antioxidants that can prevent or slow damage to cells caused by free radicals, which are also known as oxidants. And in like just helping the body repair. So for so many, and it helps like your, your circadian rhythm, you know, ideally we want our stress hormone cortisol to go down at night and up in the morning. So we're up, up and ready to go. Melatonin rises at night, goes down in the morning. When we are not getting quality sleep, when we are not sleeping enough, mm-hmm. that balance shifts. And when our stress hormone is elevated cortisol, it creates a domino effect for all our other hormone production. Our body's going to, when it's, you know, that wired, tired, fight or flight response all the time, mm-hmm. all our other hormones take a back seat mm-hmm. because the building block for all hormones is cholesterol. They're, you know, like looking at the, you know, in my mind, in the pathways, but like everything gets disrupted. So sleep is kind of like the epic re reset button for your body. Um, and it's really good for your sleep. <laughs> I, I had no idea that melatonin was as amazing as it was until I learned about it from you, not to be confused with melanin, which is the pigment that, you know, is responsible for our beautiful skin color. Um, but yeah, it, that, you know, it protects epidermal cells against cell death and it like stimulates the growth of fibroblasts that produce collagen, elastin growth hormone is at its peak. It protects from like UV radiation. I had no idea it protects DNA. And I think you, you had mentioned like in your book that there was, oh, by the way, the skin whisper, which I recommend everybody. There's a lot of research on melatonin and skin cancer. I know that's a new, but yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So it's fascinating. So um, you'll even see in over-the-counter products, more um, uh, skincare lines are incorporating melatonin Mm -hmm. as well because of its reparative and rejuvenative um, qualities. And so in um, skin cancer prevention, as well as adjuvant therapy, especially for melanoma, they're using melatonin. They're using it in other cancers as well. Um, But yeah, so we can't underestimate the power of sleep. And I think as physicians, managing our stress and getting sleep have always been on the back burner. It has not been prioritized. Like, there's always so much to do. Our to-do list is forever long, or you look like you're a slacker or you're weak, or you're not doing your job. If you take rest, if you take a day off, like I remember when I was in residency, yeah. um, you showed up unless you were in a car accident or you were on scheduled vacation, like God forbid, you know, you have a personal emergency or whatever. And um, it's just, it was never offered yeah. in our training um, that we should sleep, yeah, or you know, attend to our self care, yeah, um, and that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with you. This needs to slowly change. Your uh, background is with you know hormones, especially 
you focus more with perimenopause, menopause, and um, you emphasize the relationship between our hormones and our skin health and how, I mean, you've gone through extensively in the book about all the different types of hormones and how it's important for skin health, but estrogen being very important for collagen production. Didn't know there's 28 different types of collagen, um, estrogen for hair growth, and that the skin has the capability to make hormones. Can you very briefly explain to us kind of what hormones are, but then what do you mean that the skin can receive, but also more importantly, produce hormones? Yeah. So hormones essentially are chemical messengers um, that produce different functions, right? They can, they send signals throughout our body um, and there's many different hormones. So I think when we think about hormones in particular, we think about the sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, DHEA, testosterone, but cortisol is a hormone, vitamin D is a hormone, insulin, melatonin. So we've got lots of different thyroid hormone, lots of different hormones. And what has been found I mentioned it a little bit earlier, this the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, right? Signals from your hypothalamus um, get sent to ultimately your adrenals to produce cortisol, your primary stress hormone, when we perceive that we are being threatened. It's been found that the skin has an HPA axis, so the skin can actually produce cortisol. It also has a sympathetic adrenal um, medullary axis that produces epinephrine and norepinephrine. So your skin has receptors for the uh, centrally created hormones, and it also generates some hormones. So it is a, a target and also a creator of hormones. Skin is also capable of producing estrogen and your other, some of your other sex hormones. So the skin is an amazing organ. Mm. Um, and to your point about how hormones affect the skin, well, directly, you know, estrogen is um, not only does it contribute to collagen formation, which is as we are approaching midlife and hormones are naturally diminishing. This is why we get fine lines, wrinkles, skin sag, because the skin is, you know, doesn't have that estrogenic um, influence. It's also why, unfortunately, as we mature, uh, sex can become more painful. Mm. The skin in the vaginal area becomes thinner and especially around the urethra, there is atrophy. And so women may find that they have more urinary frequency or uh, more frequent ur urinary tract infections. And estrogen also plays a role in production of hyaluronic acid. So, you know, the collagen and the hyaluronic acid giving us this youthful appearance as those hormones start to diminish in midlife, mm. that's also why sex can become more painful because we don't have that hydration and the moisture. Um, on our face, fine lines, wrinkles, skin sag, we might also find that our skin becomes a little bit more irritated, a little more sensitive, a little bit more flaky. Estrogen also plays a significant role in gut health mm. and um, the estrobilome and um, helping to create balance mm. in the gut microbiome. And we know that there's a significant gut skin connection. So an exacerbation of eczema or psoriasis or even acne, um, you know, it's all correlated. It's all correlated. So it's a very complex, <laughs> it's very complex and it's so cool and interesting. Um, but the bottom line is what we see affects how we feel. Mm -hmm. What we feel affects what we see. So this top-down um, creation of hormones affects the skin. The skin is, you know, perceives that, but also can generate hormones itself that can send signals up back up to your brain. And it's this two-way communication. So it is not your imagination that when you are stressed or run down, that you're breaking out more or your, you know, your eczema is flaring. This is a very real phenomenon. And that is why just putting on some topical steroids or biologics or acutane like, may not always resolve the issue mm. because there's more to the story than oh. just reading the surface. Totally. That's so interesting. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Just like the gut microbiome, I think we're learning about the skin microbiome. And in your book, The Skin Whisperer, you mentioned that the skin microbiome, we have like over 1 trillion bacteria on our skin. And that microbiome keeps our skin plump, firm, supports wound healing. There was like a recent study you had mentioned, I think in the frontiers of microbiology, that it may play a role in skin cancer prevention, guarding against oxidative stress, free radicals. You know, the literature is still really growing about um, skin microbiome. But then you talk about how when there is an imbalance, when our microbiome is in balance, our complexion grows. And that, you know, sometimes there's harsh ingredients in skincare that can maybe contribute to a dysbiosis of our skin microbiome by altering the pH, stripping the skin of essential lipids. And yeah, I always sometimes feel like the harsh treatments we sometimes maybe use for acne, you know, benzoyl peroxide, topical antibiotics, antibiotics by mouth, you know, I don't know, it can help with some people, but I feel like I have used those before and it's just made my skin issues worse. And, you know, when, when I've seen, including myself, when I've tested like my gut for inflammation, I was through the roof, you know, like through the roof level of inflammation in my gut. And I not like, you know, I think the research is still growing um, in that, but I think we're seeing that, you know, if there's inflammation in one area of my body, it's, I think it, it's likely that there, there could be inflammation in another area. So, you know, is my skin acne telling me already something that I knew that there's some sort of general dysbiosis going on in my body? Um, yeah, I feel like what you're saying tells me that the body feels very interconnected and maybe going back to we're talking about some of the harsh ingredients. What do you recommend maybe to replace those you have mentioned in your book, parabens, talc, fragrance. There's a long, long list. What would be some things that you look at and you would say, try to avoid these. And what would you try to replace them with? Yeah, that's, that's great. And yeah, there's a lot. And, and some of them are, have very long names that I pronounce <laughs> in this moment. But I think the biggest thing, you know, one of the biggest culprits for people um, is fragrance because it can cause an irritant or allergic contact dermatitis. And so really looking for um, products that, you know, They'll, it'll say perfume or fragrance. And unfortunately, uh, there is no regulation for what goes into creating that fragrance or perfume. So we don't know, and we don't know if it's gonna be sensitizing or not. Mm. I think that's um, the biggest thing is looking for either fragrance with a, a certain essential oils or just fragrance free. Mm. Um, no fragrance. Um, and so that would probably be a big one. And then, you know, we talk about like, what are the endocrine disrupting uh, ingredients? Dr. Barr brings up endocrine disruptors, sometimes referred to as hormonally active agents that are chemicals that can interfere with endocrine or hormonal systems. These disruptions have been linked to cancers, tumors, birth defects, and other developmental disorders like BHT or BHA that we use a lot in plastics, but they use them as preservatives in skincare products as well. Because they, they in the literature, it, they have found to have beneficial like antimicrobial um, effects. But for some people, day after day of using products, these ingredients can mimic mm -hmm. um, the function of our hormones, block the receptors and create this, you know, endocrine dis disruption and cause challenges. Um, so phthalates, parabens, um, you know, I think depending on which literature you read and, and who you talk to, it may, it's a very controversial topic of like, is this really dangerous? Does the FDA recognize it as generally safe and effective? I mean, look at sunscreens, right? There's big hullabaloo about ingredients. And so titanium dioxide and zinc oxide are the only two ingredients that have been recognized by the FDA as generally safe and effective. And it's so interesting because, you know, I graduated residency a long time ago, but even, you know, from the very beginning of using sunscreens, I was only recommending zinc oxide. Mm -hmm. And why is that, right? For me, I've got sensitive skin and I found that it was easy to use. Yes, it was white, uh, maybe not as elegant, but hey, the cosmetic industry has done a great job of um, making products a lot more cosmetically elegant. Um, and 
it was a, I always felt like it was a marketing gimmick, right? Like baby sunscreen, adult sunscreen, zinc oxide. We use it on baby's bottom. So you get one tube of sunscreen for the whole family, save your money. Right. Like, yeah. I'm just going to call it out. Like it's marketing and it's bullshit. And so yeah. <laughs> outside is just, um, safe to use. Now, Speaking of that and sunscreen, uh, I, my desk is in front of a window in front of my computer. So I'm always recommending in terms of keeping things simple. I am the least compliant physician you will probably ever meet. It has to be simple. So a gentle cleanser. And if your skin is really sensitive, looking for ingredients that have like glycerin and aloe, Mm -hmm. um, shea butter, jojoba oil, like a lot of it, unfortunately is trial and error of knowing what is going to be, um, helpful to your skin, but, you know, products that are labeled sensitive skin, pH balance, those are, um, you know, good to look for, but for sunscreen, so you wash your face in the morning, uh, antioxidant serum with vitamin C and E to help, uh, protect against the environmental exposure that you're going to get from UV rays and, um, air pollution, which can cause, uh, hyperpigmentation. And then a daily moisturizer with sunscreen, SPF 30 or above, get one that's tinted. And I know I'm talking to the ladies and men may not want to um, wear tinted moisturizer, but it protects the iron oxides and the tinted moisturizers help protect against the blue light. So even if you're working indoors, right? The pandemic, many of us are working from home. um, UVA rays penetrate your window glass. Yeah. Hmm. UVA rays penetrate more deeply into your skin. This is why they're known as the aging rays. Mm. So if you're worried about your fine lines, your wrinkles, protect yourself, whether you're indoors or out, rain or shine, because 80% of the UV rays come through those clouds. You need protection every day. Then you're sitting in front of your computer, you're getting blue light exposure. Mm. And we know that blue light exposure can create hyperpigmentation as well as disrupt um, the integrity of the collagen and elastin contributing to signs of visible aging, which is where a tinted moisturizer with your iron oxides will offer protection from that blue light. Beautiful. I love it. (laughs) With nutrition, with food, there are significant amounts of antioxidants, anti-inflammatory agents. And, you know, I know what in your practice, you work with a nutritionist, would there be any recommendations? Let's say someone's just starting off, their diet is not amazing. And, you know, some things that you would recommend, and why, like, what would be the benefits of adding these particular things? Cause before I was just like, yeah, veggie is good here and there, but I never really understood that it is preventative. It is almost, you know, like food can be a medicine. And the more of these antioxidant vegetables and fruits that I eat, I see the result like on my skin, on how I feel, but yeah. What, what do you say about that? I love, I love it. And <laughs> you know, I, I do, I, I, you know, I've taken uh, functional nutrition courses and stuff like that, but I know that is not my wheelhouse. And so yeah. I think like with everything, collaboration is the key to our success professionally as well as personally. And so, yeah, I have collaborated with a functional nutritionist to help me support um, the women that I serve. Mm-hmm. And for me, when it comes to nutrition, I think maybe because I've had issues with food, right? It's this societal, this is good food. This is bad food. There's shame and there's guilt and like good grief. How much energy have we spent like this diet and that diet? And so I, any, anything, when it comes to food, I am not going to be dogmatic. There's no good. There's not bad. I'm not going to shame anyone for eating anything all that I suggest and offer is like, how do you want to feel? Mm. How do you want to feel an hour from now or tomorrow morning? And what are you going to eat to make you feel the way you want to feel? Mm. So if you want to feel energetic, um, then there are going to be certain food choices that you are going to make and some that you're going to forego. Like the bag of Doritos with the, I don't know, blue, whatever colors are in it, whatever preservatives are in it that I can't even pronounce, may not accomplish that goal. Because if you can't pronounce it and you can't produce it naturally, like pull it out of the ground or off a tree, like your body doesn't necessarily know what to do with it either. So eat for how you want to feel. And there are, you know, 
pleasure foods, power food, like there's room for all of it. Mm -hmm. And I always offer, listen, wine, chocolate, my favorite prescription for food <laughs> to offer, right? The resveratrol in the, in the grape skin, the, the, you know, the polyphenols in the, in the dark chocolate, but upgrade your options. Like if you can get organically sourced, if you can get biodynamically grown wine, like give yourself an upgrade, you deserve it. Mm -hmm. um, but enjoy all of it. Mm -hmm. And in terms of like protective foods, obviously the party line is, you know, whole foods, plant powered diet, all for that. I can tell you that it wasn't just what I'm eating, yeah. right? If we're going to be honest, like we're talking about not following your intuition, you know, not always doing my self care. And that really plays out in gut because I swallow my feelings and I, you know, um, but <laughs> we're just going to lay it all on the table. Um, I will never be dogmatic about you need to eat this. You need to eat that. Like listen to your body. Mm -hmm. pay attention. This is, this is what I, it's like the combination of like mindful eating and intuitive eating. It's like intuitive eating, <laughs> pay attention to how it makes you feel what your body's asking you for craving and start there. But yes, there are certain fruits, veggies, and spices like rosemary or, you know, turmeric, and um, parsley that are anti-inflammatory, anti-carcinogenic, tomatoes and the lycopene has been studied for skin cancer prevention. Coffee, the roasting process has been shown to generate niacin, vitamin B3, which is anti-inflammatory. Um, and the caffeine itself has been shown to be beneficial in skin cancer. So there's a lot of literature and there are a lot of foods that offer a lot of benefits, yeah. but we are each unique individuals who are dealing with all sorts of different environmental inputs um, that can make even the healthiest of foods not agree with us. So you have to tune into what's happening with you. Very beautifully said. Yeah, I think back in the day, I because I thought it was healthy, I just like ate a low fat diet, a lot of like skim milk and low fat yogurt and and, but I, I think my body was telling me with various clues on my skin that this was not working, you know, and I wish I had that intuition or I, I knew about your work earlier and I would have started listening to it a little bit more, but yeah, I think my body was kind of giving me those clues. And as soon as I cut out some of those things, cause I think now we're seeing the literature with low fat diet, you know, half a decade ago, it might not have been the strongest, you know, research that we had. And that's what we based <clears throat> a lot of our kind of nutritional advice on, but I completely agree with you is listening to your body. It's you're right. It's telling you so much. It um, and just to, just to touch on the, the low fat, I mean, why do we need fat and, and the healthy fats, right? Yeah, the, the exactly. Omega three fatty acids. And um, because our hormones are, are, first of all, our brain yeah. is, that's very fat and our hormones, we need cholesterol, yeah. the backbone of all our hormones. Yeah. So statins and low cholesterol diets, like not necessarily doing us a service yeah. overall um, and dairy hundred percent. So skim milk, more sugar in it than fat, right? Well, sugar is inflammatory for your skin um, and dairy in some people can stimulate your organs. It can increase um, IGF-1, insulin growth factor one, which we know contributes to inflammation, stimulating your oil glands and contributing to acne formation. So, so yes, well, we used to think that diet didn't matter for your skin, but it does. And it may affect people in different ways. So yes, paying attention. Your skin, honestly, I always like to say, your skin will be your greatest cheerleader <laughs> when you're eating well, moving well, sleeping well, spending time with people who lift you up. Yes. Yes. We may have to delete people yeah. <laughs> from our lives as challenging as that may be. Um, and it will be, your skin will also be your crappiest confidant. Mm -hmm. It will tell all your secrets, <laughs> but it's the best kind of gossip because it empowers us to take control of the things that we can control. Cause there is a ton of stuff that we cannot control. Yeah. But we can look at our skin and say, what's going on? Yeah. Like I'm breaking out. And most of us, when we look in the mirror, we're like, are you 
kidding me? I've got a big date. I've got a big event. I'm breaking up. This is awful. My skin is sabotaging me. I have to go to Sephora and get cover up. And in the moment, you might need to go get cover up. And cover effects, I have no affiliation, but it's great under eye concealer. And, but it also opens up opportunity for you to have a little self-reflection be like, all right, girl, like what's going on? Yeah. And you say something so beautifully. You say you want to hear the whisper, not the shout. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? I love that you say it, but I love when you explain <laughs> that you. So that's the whole reason why the book is called The Skin Whisper. So for me, the whispers were every couple of months, moles were changing and growing and I need biopsies. And I was just like not paying attention because in my specialty, that is just what we did. I wasn't picking up on the signs like, oh, there's oxidative damage. Oh, there's DNA damage. Oh, you're stressing your body beyond its capacity. And it's telling you in this, in this way. So the goal is to hear the messages, whether it's your hair is shedding. Now, listen, there's a, there's a lot of different reasons, but if your hair all of a sudden is starting to fall out in masses, like you are um, breaking out and this hasn't been an issue for you, a lot more bloating. You know, these are signs. These are messages that your body and your skin are sending you that something is going on. Us as individuals may not be able to figure it out. And that's where we look to our colleagues. We, we get help. And you want to pick up and be so paying attention Mm. because those little whispers do culminate into something bigger. For me, it was skin cancer and and my hormones being so out of whack um, that I I ultimately wound up with a hysterectomy, Mm. which um, another reason why I became so passionate about helping menopausal midlife women, I did not know that number one, in my late thirties, that I was in perimenopause Two exacerbated by the stress, which, you know, shut down my HPG access. So, and if my doctor had said, Hey, girlfriend, all this bleeding, um, all, all this challenges that you're having, maybe a little progesterone would have been helpful. Oh, and you need to get your stress in check. Like you need to get a therapist. I would have been like, Oh, wow. Thank you. Um, yeah. um, that's a little bit hard to hear, yeah. uh, but, but wow, I might've saved myself a surgery yeah. plus yeah. genetics. Like, I mean, I mean, I just learned so much stuff, but like yeah. stuff like that, if mm. we can just tune into like something's, something's a little out of balance. I'm mm. not sure what it is, mm. but I'm open to, to paying attention. Yeah. So let's say I know they'd have to come to you or, um, someone similar in your practice, but someone that is reaching perimenopause or menopause, how do you kind of approach those patients? What can they do? Yeah, well, it really depends. So um, it really depends on where they are in their life, what's happening. You know, the definition of menopause is 12 months without a cycle. So, um, and there are reasons why women may lose their period. Again, (laughs) tapping into our senses. Are you sleeping? Are you, you know, what's happening in your environment? what are you using, you know, on your body, in your body, nutrition, all that. There are many reasons why a woman, uh, woman cycle may be out of whack. And that is definitely, I would refer her on to uh, a colleague to (laughs) to discover, you know, help uncover that. Um, But for me, my role, I feel like is to be a guide and an educator. And it's that idea of supporting them through self-inquiry, like really looking at what's happening in their life. Um, and if they are, listen, the average age of menopause is 51. Perimenopause can last anywhere from four to 10 years. So starting in our, some, some women in their mid thirties are in the perimenopausal phase. And a lot of the symptoms that may be occurring, like hot flashes, night sweats, um, brain fog, a lot of these can be alleviated with lifestyle shifts. Mm-hmm. So we, we always start there. I, I don't ever just be like, oh, you're having hot flashes. Here's some uh, estrogen. Like yeah. that is not a restart. Um, and some women may not want hormones, yeah. you know? And I've actually taken a step back from, from prescribing because I really have found that despite 
prescribing bioidentical hormones. Women were struggling with anxiety and mm-hmm. sleep. And um, I found that when we could have a conversation, mm-hmm. really kind of peel back those layers, right? Go skinny dipping and, and like really take a deeper dive into what's happening in your life. Mm-hmm. Let's breathe together. Mm-hmm. Let's um, teach you some mind body practices. Like they were sleeping, they were feeling better. And so hormones is one piece, supplemental hormones is one piece of that puzzle. Mm-hmm. And even, and, and there's so much misinformation there too, right? Women who've had a history of breast cancer or family has a breast cancer, they don't think that they can have hormones. That is not true. Mm-hmm. You have to take every woman on a case-by-case basis, but that Women's Health Initiative study did a whole bunch of damage mm-hmm. uh, in the medical space because physicians are can be afraid to prescribe and women are afraid to take the hormones, even though they would benefit from them. So um, the place I would start is not by giving the hormones, but offering education about what their options might be. But for me, it's really, let's look at your lifestyle, but more importantly, let's help you manage your mind and your stress and add a little bit more pleasure and joy into your life. Yeah. As I think for most of us women and especially physicians, like, the pleasure plan um, is definitely at the bottom of the list. Yeah. yeah. You have a beautiful chapter in your book that discusses stress and more importantly, stress perception. And you talk about, I think it was Dr. Stokes and Pillsbury that back in the 1930s, you know, they were already talking about this intimate relationship between our gut, our skin and our brain. And can you tell us a little bit about ex- exactly how you would, you know, kind of teach these patients that come to you about stress and also why you highlight that it's actually our perception of stress and not just the word stress alone and maybe what we can do about it. Yeah, I think this is such an important concept because stress is a part of our life mm-hmm. and we need some stressors. I mean, you look to nature, the sunlight is a stressor and the, tr- and the plants grow towards the sun, mm-hmm. right? Like we need some level of stress to help us get things done, to keep us out of harm's way. And the problem isn't stress in and of itself. It's our response to it, yeah. right? In the, the ideal way of things happening is we have a stress response, our HPS, you know, we, we generate that stress hormone cortisol and we respond to it and then we go back to our normal um, levels. In medicine, if you're on call, if you're working in a very stressful clinic, EMR crashes, you're working through a pandemic and you're dealing with a lot of stuff on top of just regular life stuff, it's this constant barrage of your brain feels like it's under attack, your body feels like it's under attack. And so it's that sustained level of elevated stress hormone that can create challenges in, in in your body and such. And it's also, more importantly, what are we making these experiences mean, mm. right? So when something goes wrong or, so, or someone says something to us um, or there's a maybe a, a patient interaction, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't go as well. That is just something that, right? It could be totally subjective. It's like, we didn't get along, yeah. but it just comes from like, Oh, I'm a failure. I'm a this, I'm a that. Like, and we, and it becomes a mental chatter, this negative lens that most of us have. We are very self-critical and especially if as physicians, we are, um, I think we're aces at that. (laughs) Um, and that thought pattern creates negative feeling, negative sensations in our body that then impacts how we act. It's like Maxwell Maltz um, was a physician wrote the book, uh, was it Psycho-Cybernetics? It's this loop. And other people have um, talked about it as like the model that you know, or, or in cognitive um, behaviors that are like uh, thought, emotion, behavior. Uh, and it's really our thoughts about an event Absolutely. That, that creates that sustained stress response mm-hmm. that we ruminate over it, that we relive it. And then it becomes kind of this pattern, this well-worn pattern in our brain and becomes even stored in our body. Mm. Right. 
totally. Dr. Van Kolk's book, the, the body keeps score. Oh, how we, how we, you know, the yeah. trauma, we just, yeah. it, and that's, I think, you know, I just babble on about stuff, but like, that's where stress becomes problematic. Mm-hmm. It's not stress in and of itself. It's what we make these experiences and these events mean for us and internalize and then our body is constantly feeling like it's under attack and our stress response is always on high and that's what creates the ongoing inflammation and challenges so you know when i work with women in particular it's really meeting them where they are not everyone is ready to do the deep dive Mm -hmm. but even just simply breathing together Mm -hmm. is so powerful right it's you're not stressed and overwhelmed. If you told me I need to do yoga, yeah, I need to journal, yeah, I need to meditate, I'd be like, uh, you can just step off right now because that is not happening. Um, you have one more thing on to mind to do. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. But we're already breathing. Yeah. And when we're stressed, the vast majority of us aren't paying attention to how we're breathing. In fact, we may realize we are not even breathing, we're holding our breath. Mm-hmm. And so just simply taking a moment to breathe activates and you know, taking a nice deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. And it activates that vagus nerve, which triggers that relaxation response. Mm-hmm. Um, and just also normalizing mm-hmm. that stress is a part of life. And if you're having a hard moment right now, that's okay. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're broken doesn't need, mean <laughs> that you need yeah. to fix everyone. It's like, you know, with Kristen Neff's with self-compassion, like common humanity, everyone is having a hard time. Yeah. Because when we're stressed and overwhelmed, we think there's something wrong with us. Mm-hmm. We think we're the only one. Mm-hmm. Why is everyone else, you know, you look at their Instagram and like everyone's happy and everyone's <laughs> smiling and they're not bloated and their skin is perfect. And that's a bunch of BS. Yeah. We just actually have to just take a step back and be like, it's the little things consistently day after day after day that'll add up to huge swings. So I think where a lot of us get tripped up, myself included, is like, oh my God, I need to make massive changes. Yeah. And then you you feel stuck and you feel overwhelmed mm-hmm. and then we do nothing and we still feel like crap. But if like, what's the one thing that you can do? Mm-hmm. One thing you can commit to. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Lastly, before we let you go, we were talking about sleep before, but <clears throat> In your book, you talk a lot about magnesium Mm. Um, and what would be magnesium as well as you had mentioned something interesting about melatonin, how sometimes you don't recommend maybe supplementing with that, but giving things that would support your natural melatonin production. Can you briefly touch on that before we let you go? (laughs) So magnesium is such um it is such an important nutrient that you know we need for like over 400 functions in our body but it also is great for helping us relax uh, and so i find especially at nighttime it's a nice addition so um there's different formulations so if you're constipated uh magnesium citrate is great um but magnesium glycinate is usually the formulation i like um there are combinations, you know, supplements that have uh, combinations of like L-theanine that can help relaxation with magnesium. And then melatonin, the challenge with melatonin is not everyone tolerates it in supplement form. And so, you know, from 0.3 milligrams to three milligrams is what you might find in over-the-counter supplements. People for boosting immunity and other things were taking much higher levels. Mm-hmm. But some people find that even at small doses, they wake up feeling groggy. Mm -hmm. They wake up feeling, you know, or they have these crazy uh, vivid dreams. And so melatonin doesn't work for them. And so helping to regulate that stress response, Mm -hmm. right, to help manage that natural curve that we want for cortisol to go down at night and elevate in the morning. So using adaptogenic herbs like ashwagandha, um, you know, magnolia, lemon balm, um, other uh, herbs that help your stress response help regulate itself. And so those are ingredients. There's some really nice um, products on the market that use combination of magnesium and uh, maybe vitamin B6 and magnolia and and lemon balm um, to help 
calm your nervous system a little bit more and calm your, you know, the magnesium to help relax your muscles and such. So it helps promote more restful sleep without directly giving the melatonin. Some people, I mean, melatonin works like a charm, but it's, it's sometimes like trial and error to see. Um, And it's not, and also the other thing about sleep, it's not what you do in the half an hour before you get ready for bed. Yeah. It's a 24 hour cycle. So it's from the minute you wake up, you know, planning, you know, how am I going to improve my sleep? I wear something like I'm wearing my aura ring right now. It tracks the stages of my sleep. It tracks my body temperature, it tracks my heart rate variability. So I know that if I wake up exhausted, I can look at my data and be like, Oh yeah, I really did enjoy that glass of wine while I was drinking it, but it's screwed with my um, blood sugar regulation and my sleep cycle. And it's showing up now, you know? Uh, So, so, so planning, you know, decreasing the blue light, you know, creating a a sleep ritual, making sure your bedroom is set up for success. All of those things matter. And then there are supplements that you can take to support better sleep. Thank you. This was so lovely. Just in closing, what would be just one piece of advice you wish everyone could know? Mm. Um, I think it's important that our bodies are working for us and not against us. Yeah. And to really focus on the power that we do have Mm. to create pleasure and enjoy this journey. Mm. And the the negative emotion is part of that experience. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) Oh, Kira, this was amazing. Where can we find you? If anybody is looking to get more information about you, how, how can they best do that? Yeah. So, um, on Instagram at Dr. Kira Barr or at my website, you know, I have a great, um, guide, you know, seven ways to reduce anxiety in less than seven minutes. Mm-hmm. And so that is a great resource, but my website, drkirabar.com is a great place to find me. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the hidden body. If you are enjoying this podcast, please leave me a five-star review so that other people who are looking for similar information can find this show. This is a space for educational discussion and should not be taken as medical advice. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. Please consult with the appropriate medical professional for any medical questions regarding your health.